0: Hudhang Tamong Sangang Namasame. It's probably on the minds of at least some people, maybe quite a number of people, that as the restrictions that have been imposed upon us. Mm-hmm all around the world as a result of this pandemic as these restrictions are eased, now lifted, that we might discover that humanity has really learnt some good lessons and they're going to witness some real changes having taken place. Certainly uh, something worth hoping for. There are bound to be some people who also would just like to return to how things were in the past and before the pandemic. However, it doesn't take a lot of thought to recognise that the way we were living wasn't necessarily very wise certainly most people were caught unawares by this pandemic created massive massive disruption and it wasn't it wasn't because of a gigantic asteroid plunging into Planet Earth, and that would certainly be understandable if we all got upset about that, or all or, or the major countries falling into atomic war. That would be obviously disastrous. It wasn't anything like that. It was a, a minuscule little virus. However, this minuscule little virus has led to havoc right across the world, and. As I'm saying, most people, other than the epidemiologists, who will be talking about something like this happening for a long time, but for most people, are caught totally unawares, and and the havoc that has been caused—the political, economic, social, psychological havoc—is the cause of a huge amount of suffering. So, how can we prepare ourselves? And for anything like this happening again. What is there to learn? Can, can we equip ourselves so as to really change course, to change the way we live, to change our fundamental approach to life, so that we're not caught unawares, mm. so it's not a disaster. Because there's nothing wrong with viruses, there have been plenty of viruses before in pandemics before, in asteroids for that matter before, these things happen. Planet Earth is subject to these influences and human beings get sick, that's actually quite normal. However, our reaction to these events have meant that there's been a huge amount of suffering so i just saying, what can we do, as it appears we're emerging from, at least to some degree, the intensity of the, the lockdown period, what do we need to be paying attention to so that we can be better prepared? And most specifically, of course, in, in this context we, we'll be thinking of uh, what are the spiritual considerations that we need to be engaged in. Something I'm often struck by and think quite a lot about is how it is that many very sincere long time Buddhist meditators still seem to have a deep sense of discontentment Imagine that these people are living, ethically speaking, suitable, in suitable ways, and possibly even very disciplined. However, not really. I come across people and have conversations with people who seem to be very self-critical, and this self-criticism is suggesting. seems to indicate a deep sense of discontentment, despite all the the good effort that they're making. And when I do think about this, one of the potential possible causes that comes to my mind, I think is worth reflecting on, and we've thought about this before, is is the side effects of affluence. A few weeks ago I talked about how wisdom is seeing both sides of things, not just seeing what we gain but also seeing what we lose. Not just seeing uh, the advantage but also seeing the disadvantage in in our activities. And, And with affluence, one of the disadvantages that it seems to me is the increased opportunity for not really facing challenges. There's obviously many advantages and, and benefits from affluence and of course we all feel very grateful for that. And, however, one of the difficulties is that not just letting ourselves become lost in ease and convenience uh, and comfort. You know, the other side of it is that we tend to get lost in being very displeased about when things are challenging. And the opportunities for distracting ourselves that affluence gives us. I think this is really worth thinking about how quickly we distract ourselves from feeling discontented and disappointed, dissatisfied. And when we turn away from these feelings of discontented and disappointed, dissatisfied. When we turn away from these feelings and distract ourselves, what are we doing? Is that is that making us strong, turning away from these challenges? Now, of course, nobody likes dissatisfaction, disappointment and discontentment. That's not dislikable, obviously. However, affluence means that we, we're at risk of becoming habitually distracted and I think particularly thinking about how we might prepare ourselves to be more ready for life's challenges and, and difficulties, I think this is worth reflecting on. The addiction to distraction is so normal now that, again, I think many people just don't question it. There's something... Disagreeable happens, and you know, how can we avoid it in, in less affluent countries and less affluent cultures and less prosperous times, there weren't the opportunities for distracting ourselves well still now in other countries where they're less affluent and you don't have the same amount of luxury and opportunity and so mm-hmm. What happens when we feel deeply disappointed, or dismissed? We feel dismissed and unappreciated. What do we do when that happens? Do we really deal with it, or do we just engage technology? And technology is so powerful, so fascinating, so interesting. Or shopping, another easy distraction. Shopping and having goodies delivered to the door with minimal inconvenience can be a powerful distraction. Travelling, although during the, the pandemic of course travelling is, is inhibited under normal times and because of technology and affluence. It's so easy to arrange to travel somewhere, somewhere very remote, somewhere very exciting, somewhere really fascinating, and forget about our feelings of disappointment and and boredom. Mm. What happens when we get bored? Do we really deal with boredom? Mm. Or do we avoid it? At any stage of life, we could end up finding ourselves feeling bored. Isn't it a lesson that we need to learn to look into boredom, what really is going on? This experience of disliking when there's nothing interesting happening. Are we aware of that? Are we aware that we are getting caught up in disliking when we're feeling bored? What is boredom? Generally, for a lot of people, I imagine boredom is considered as like uh, something wrong, there's nothing interesting happening and there should be something interesting happening. That's the story that affluence tells us. There should be something always interesting happening. That's a consequence of an addiction to distraction, the idea that there should be something interesting always happening. Sometimes life is tediously boring as we get older and, and less able to move around and infirm and, and, and stuck in a chair in a, in a in a living room somewhere. Maybe not even with any view. How boring is that? So old age, sickness are uh, going to come to all of us and are we prepared for it? Or do we fall prey to the shadow side of affluence and I would suggest that all of us probably to varying degrees have fallen prey to the shadow side of affluence and and it makes us rather weak so that when challenges come along we're disinclined to really meet them. One of the effects, possible effects of affluence is we form the view that when things are difficult that it shouldn't be this way. We're judging the situation we're in or judging ourselves. I should be more together. I should have better samadhi. I should have better equanimity. These people should understand me better. This person should show me more respect. Those people should be more wise. Those people should be more kind. I should be more strong. That's painful. Mm. And where does it come from? The addiction to distraction means that when we are challenged, instead of turning the challenge into an opportunity to get strong, we just turn away from it. And from what I've observed, it sometimes seems to be the case that, that even Buddhist meditators use their practice as a form of distraction. If you've grown up in an affluent situation and have accumulated such a view that, that when things are difficult that something's going wrong and if you bring that into meditation... And you're having some difficulties in your meditation, you can just try and push past it, concentrate harder, try and push through to some state of samadhi and not have to deal with these difficulties. Is that is that a wise approach? Does that mean that the difficulties go away? Does that mean that we're better equipped to deal with the difficulties? When they arise, in my observation, I'm not convinced that it does mean we're better equipped to deal with the difficulties. It tends to condition a very narrow field of awareness and, and people become susceptible to even fundamentalist views. Taking fixed positions for and against themselves, for and against the situation that they're in for and against the world and not able to accommodate ambiguity. So much of life is ambiguous. So much of life is uncertain. So much of life we just don't know what's going on. Can we handle this? When we find ourselves in a situation where we don't know whether we can handle it, is our awareness expanded enough, our attention disciplined enough to be able to open up and say? This is what it's like when I'm faced with not knowing, and to take full responsibility for that. Can we take full responsibility for being in the midst of a situation of utter uncertainty and feel our reactions? Or do we distract ourselves with our fantasy of, of some state of happiness, including the imagined state of enlightenment, do we distract ourselves with such fantasies? Initially, our aspiration for awakening can be almost intoxicating. However, as practice proceeds, we need to be cautious that we're not just feeding on a naive initial level of hope. And, and I would suggest that our fantasies of of realizing Nibbana are something that we need to let go of. And it's not Letting go of our aspiration for awakened awareness. That's that's core. That's foundational. That's essential. However, that initial naive relationship to the idea of Nibbana, the idea of being free from suffering, I would suggest that is something that we need, need to look at very carefully. Are we just using that fantasy as a distraction to avoid really meeting ourselves where we're at? as this limited being, as this person who feels offended because somebody dismissed me or I didn't get what I want, I'm disappointed, dissatisfied, discontented. So long as we're caught up in this habit of distraction, then we're disinclined to meet ourselves and I like to think that if we're practicing in a skillful way, then when we start to suspect that's the case, we'll get interested in it. We'll be honest about it. We'll be honest about it. And it shows up all the time. You can be in your room or in your kuti or on a retreat and be having a really nice time and feel like you've really got a few things sorted out. However, when you, you end up being in a, some group situation where people behaving in ways that you don't feel so good about or speaking in ways that you're not comfortable with. How are we with ourselves? Can we handle our reactions? Can we handle indignation? It shouldn't be this way. I shouldn't be this way. She should be like that. He should be like that that's the sign, that's the symptom. That's what we want to see. When we when we hear that, when we feel that, the heat of indignation, that's good. If we're addicted to distraction and we feel something challenging like that, there's a risk that we'll just try to turn away from it and so, rush off and concentrate our mind and avoid it. The right practice might mean that what we need to do is walk up and down for an hour feeling what we feel. Just really feel fully offended, feel fully indignant, but not getting lost in it. Getting lost in indignation, denying indignation, that's not being honest. It's the same as getting lost in self-confidence and feeling pleased with ourselves. You know, the Dhamma chakra Sutta we were just, just just chanting this evening and but it's talking about the middle way. And that, that disposition which means when the mind moves towards one extreme of getting lost, getting lost in that which is agreeable, getting lost in that which is disagreeable. When the mind moves the invitation in this teaching is to make the effort to observe those movements, to make the effort to observe the mind moving towards following, getting lost in these various moods, these various activities. And so, if we are heeding these teachings that the Buddha gave us, the the turning of the wheel of the law and then we're keen to find out what is that sort of effort that we need to be making what is that sort of effort that is called for that means we're equipped to meet ourselves when we feel weak, when we feel vulnerable, when we feel unable, rather than trying to get over it trying to get rid of it, how can we really meet it really see it. Feeling angry and upset and acknowledging this is 100% mine. Not philosophizing about anatta and the Buddha's teaching on not-self. Of course, the wisdom that recognizes the not-self reality, that's that's the goal of course. However, Where we're at right now is, I feel like this, and maybe this is hurt, disappointed, dissatisfied, discouraged. The Buddha taught a lot about the need to build up a storehouse of wholesomeness. Fantasizing about being liberated and having great faith in the possibility, that's okay in the beginning. It's okay to enjoy the thought that liberation is possible. If we're indulging in that thought, then possibly we're going to be building up more obstructions for ourselves. What the Buddha encouraged was building up wholesomeness really intentional cultivation of wholesomeness. It may not be as much fun as fantasizing about Nibbana or heroically striving for the jhanas. Mm. We might find that the cultivation of patient endurance is not as... we don't feel so enthusiastic about it, that's understandable. However, for many of us, much of the time, that's the work that really is really called for. The wholesomeness of patient endurance. What is it? Do we understand the difference between patient endurance and bitter endurance? All great spiritual teachers talk about the benefit of patient endurance. What does it really mean? What is that holding capacity that means we can gently bear with that which feels unbearable? It's not... Not better endurance. Better endurance is gritting your teeth and saying, well, this is good for me, I suppose. I should put up with this. And that's, not, that's not patient endurance. Or kindness, the intentional cultivation of that quality of wholesomeness. I mean, kindness. What is kindness, really? What is kindness, really? Is it just being Nice. And what is the benefit of kindness? What's the point of developing kindness? Well, one thing kindness to do is protect our heart, strengthen our heart, give us the strength to be able to withstand the temptation to be pulled into hatred. Whilst aversion for that which is repulsive is understandable, clinging to aversion is toxic. That's hatred. That's disastrous. How do we protect ourselves from being pulled into hatred? Certainly there's always going to be things that are repulsive around. there's smells, and tastes, and so on, and ideas or, and behaviour are thoroughly repulsive. Feeling aversion for that which is repulsive, is, that's just natural. Clinging to that aversion is disastrous. How do we protect ourselves? Well, a heart of kindness can help protect us. Getting interested in these forms of, these various forms of wholesomeness and intentionally cultivating wholesomeness, building up our storehouse of wholesomeness so we have that strength, inner strength. And there's, there's another one, the Aditana or res- resolution. Aditana, that resolve or vow or thinking now about. Aditana, the word that comes to my mind is resilience. Do we have that resilience? That means we can stay focused on what matters. Can we stay focused on that which accords with the goal? Or do we get pulled into our old habits? Without aditana, without resilience, without resolve, that form of wholesomeness, then we are weak. And so... Where do we find that resilience? Where do we find that resolve? Well, we, we cultivate it. We intentionally cultivate it. We don't just concentrate our mind on on a meditation object and fantasize about becoming enlightened. We you know, slow down and come back and, and co- reflect on these forces of wholesomeness that the, the Buddha spoke so much about and intentionally cultivate patient endurance, kindness, resilience, T- cultivating resilience and also being realistic about it, I've spoken before I think about how, as a junior monk living in Thailand and some of the other monks were taking on these aditanas that were out of my scope, basically you know like not lying down at all for weeks on end, months on end years on end, some of them various other ascetic practices and and so I knew I could well I figured I couldn't do that, so I decided that. I would resolve that I would just sweep out my kuti every day, keep my cottage, my meditation hut clean. And there were times when I would go to bed at night and say, oops, I haven't swept out my cottage today. So I'd get up and do it. Little by little, that's building up atitana, or resolution, or resilience, and building up that form of strength. If we want real change, then we need to make these kinds of efforts. Mindfulness, that watchfulness, that carefulness, that attentiveness, that gives us the potential for recognizing patterns. Without mindfulness, there's just chaotic activity. This happens, that happens, and there's not. The possibility of recognising the patterns of activity. When there's a recognition of the patterns of activity, there's perhaps the possibility of seeing cause and effect, and then the possibility of understanding, and then the possibility of letting go. So wholesomeness that is mindfulness. Compassion. The wholesomeness of compassion, karuna. Intentionally cultivating compassion by feeling what it feels like when we're really suffering or if we're not suffering right now to remember some suffering that we've experienced in the past some really painful sense of loss or disappointment or even despair and then imagining somebody we care about having such a feeling and noticing that wish that arises spontaneously arises in the heart may they not feel that suffering May this person not suffer, may they not suffer, may they be free from suffering. May I be free from suffering, consciously, intentionally cultivating the wholesomeness of compassion. And perhaps experience the potential benefit that can come from compassion, which is that that form of strength, which means that in a better position to be able to witness suffering your inner suffering, or the suffering of the world, without being pulled into and defined by that vortex of pain. Mm. Without compassion, without kindness, uh, as I said before, we're weak and vulnerable, and where does that weakness and vulnerability come from? I would suggest that it comes from that unfortunate habit of distracting ourselves from life's difficulties. So talking like this, this encouragement to to cultivate wholesomeness is perhaps not as inspiring as some of the other teachings that the Buddha gave. However, the Buddha did speak a lot about cultivating wholesomeness. Even in our daily life, in our everyday activity, we can see the consequences of if we're not properly prepared for something like I've spoken before about if you have a great idea for starting up a business, you know, a really good idea, everybody thinks it's a great idea, however, you don 't have funding, how far does that great right idea get? We need the funding need the potential to start the business, or if you're going mountain climbing and you really want to climb some great mountain that you've you've heard about and other people have climbed it, and you really really want to climb it, do you just head on out and climb it, or do you prepare yourself? Of course you prepare yourself you prepare yourself physically prepare yourself mentally you might be a really really great map reader and have all sorts of wonderful aspirations for climbing that mountain however if you're not prepared physically if you haven't got the right equipment if you haven't got the the right understanding of the, the risks involved then that potential adventure could could be a disaster so Climbing mountains, of course, you prepare yourself thoroughly, carefully. Likewise, preparing ourselves for what life is going to give us, a big part of it is the intentional cultivation of wholesomeness, not just hoping that something wonderful is going to happen, not just hoping that change is going to come about inwardly or outwardly, rather heeding these teachings and enthusiastically building up our storehouse of wholesomeness, and being, being like being generous. What is what is the point of generosity? Well, one of the benefits of generosity is that it potentially reduces the the burden of self-centeredness. And generous people tend to be more happy. Selfish, mean people tend to be unhappy. When we give, when we give, what happens? Well, again, it's not just something to think about, it's something to really practice, to stop and and pay attention to how can I be helpful, to look around us, not to see cultivating generosity and kindness and patience as being some sort of practice for beginners, appreciating. The Buddha spent lifetimes, lifetimes, building up his storehouse of wholesomeness, So let's not fall into the habit of thinking that because it feels good to distract ourselves when life is disappointing and annoying, let's not fall into the mistaken view that because it feels more comfortable that it's good for us. Remember the austerities that the Buddha himself went through before his realization and the great disciples who followed him since. Thank you very much for Evening, your attention.